of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientation, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We're glad you're here. I want to bring you welcome and greetings from Trinity Church of Austin here in Austin, Texas, previously known as Trinity United Methodist Church. For the past two years, they've been a combined church of the United Methodist Church and the United Church of Christ, which is my denomination. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Young. Um, My wife is Lane Young, the Interim Director of Lifespan Faith Development. Although we have very good professional boundaries, and so this might be news to you. Uh, I was a member here at First Unitarian for about seven years uh, before I entered the ministry uh, process. And during the ministry process, while attending Star King School for the Ministry in Berkeley, I moved over to the United Church of Christ. Um, I uh, went to the dark side, as many of my uh, fellows told me. Um, although it is, you know, it's often called Unitarians Considering Christ, so it's, it's pretty close. <laughs> I, uh, anyways, I've been serving at Trinity for about two years, um, although I'm not officially called to the ministry there yet, but I will be shortly. I am a licensed minister in the uh, Heart of Texas Association of the UCC. Show of hands, how many of you were concerned when you came in today and saw someone wearing a clerical collar standing up here? <laughs> <laughs> that I had an injury with wearing, with wearing a, 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 a clerk collar. I want you to think about that. And I also want to um, allay any fears our visitors might have. Uh, I am not the normal minister here. Um, the regular minister will be back next week, I'm sure. Everyone is off at the uh, UU General Assembly in Nolens, um, eating their beignets and, and crawfish, I'm sure, and other things, enjoying the, and enjoying the rain, the lots and lots of rain that they're getting out there. Um, so I'm the guest speaker in the meantime. I also want to give you a heads up that um, I am Christian. I'm a progressive Christian, but I'm a Christian. Um, And so I'm going to be talking about God and Jesus today. Um, So I invite you to think of God in whatever way you would like. Um, You certainly don't have to be a theist um, to talk about God. And I want to assure you that I do not equate Jesus with God. Um, So I'm going to have a good Unitarian sermon, okay? I promise. With that, I invite you um, to turn to one another and to greet the holy in your midst. As a a Unitarian Universalist, we see the spark of the divine in all gathered. Please join me in the words we use to light the chalice, which can be found in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Many people ask, what is it that brings you all together? As Unitarian Universalists, we have many different beliefs and faith traditions. And as Unitarian Universalists, we have our set of principles and values. And here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, we also created our mission statement. Please join me as we say it. You can find it in the order of service and on the wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading today is from the Christian scriptures. First, from the Gospel according to Luke. 
Jesus told this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. They have to understand the Pharisees were the religious elites of their day. They thought they knew all of the laws and how to keep them. Another was a tax collector. You have to understand in Jesus' time, the tax collectors were scorned by the Jewish people because they were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government, even though the Roman government was occupying their land. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I own. The tax collector, however, sat in a corner alone where no one could see him, standing far off from the rest. He didn't even look up to heaven as he prayed, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. I tell you, said Jesus, that this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The next reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew. Now when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, another group of religious elites of their day, who believed a different set of things than the Pharisees. They assembled together, and one of them, an expert in the religious law, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, Teacher, what commandment in the law is the greatest? You must understand, in the Jewish law, there were about 600 commandments. And Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. This ends the reading. Now a reading for centering before we have a time of meditation. From St. Teresa of Avila. Mental prayer, in my opinion nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with the one who we know loves us. The important thing is not to think much, but to love much, and so do that which best stirs you to love. Love is not great delight, but desire to please God. I invite you now into a time of meditation and prayer. Please feel free to come forward and light a candle that focuses on your hopes, special events, and memories. So as I was saying earlier, I first entered the ministry process in the Unitarian Universalist tradition. And I was a member here for about seven years before that. And I... Began by attending Star King School for the Ministry 
in Berkeley, California, which is one of two Unitarian Universalist seminaries in the country. And so uh, for a year, well, a year online, and then, then we moved, my family and I moved to Berkeley for a year, and we attended in person. And while I was there, one of my professors was the Reverend Dr. Dorsey Blake, an African-American gentleman, a minister in the Christian church, who uh, taught at Star King School for the Ministry. He's not there anymore. He's at uh, PSR next door now, but time ago. And I did an independent study with him on the black church, the African-American church. And I worked with him um, to, figure, to find churches in the area that I could attend. I read books so that I could learn about the African-American experience of church and what that was like. The first church that he sent me to was Allen Temple Baptist Church in Oakland, California. A fairly large church, two to 3,000 members in a part of Oakland where um, when I was done, I rode the train down there and I took a bus, got off the bus and walked in the evening of it. Afterwards, a woman was, was walking out with me and she said, oh, how did you get here? And I told her and she said, why don't I give you a ride to the train station? But I wouldn't want you to stand at the bus stop for very long. Um, when we went to her car, there was a 10-foot razor wire fence around the parking lot and a police officer standing guard. This is the part of Oakland it was in. Let's say a somewhat sketchy part of Oakland. But it was a beautiful church. And I walked in. I didn't know anybody. I, didn't, I hadn't called ahead or anything. And I was greeted by some folks sitting at a table there in their kind of narthex four-year area. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm visiting from the seminary. And I'm here to see what your service is like. And they said, oh, great. Have you eaten? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, oh, well, come. Let's see if they've, they've already put the food away. And they took me into the fellowship hall. And they were like, oh, the food's already put away, but let me find something for you. And they ran off into the, into the kitchen, and they came back with a plate of eggs and potatoes. And they said, here you go. I'm, I'm sorry, the meat's already gone. And I thought, I don't have to explain that I'm a vegetarian. That's good. And I ate, surprised by their hospitality. And after I ate, I went and started wandering into the service with hundreds of other people. Not all two or 3,000 attend service every week, of course. And they broadcast the services to those who are homebound and can't come. As I'm walking in, there's a greeter at the door, and he greets me and hands me a program and says, how are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm doing fine. And he says, what brings you here? I said, oh, I'm visiting from the seminary. My name's Andrew Young. Oh, great. You know, we're so glad to have you. Come on in. So I went and I sat down in kind of the middle of the sanctuary so I could observe everything. And I don't know how many of you have been to an African-American Baptist church service, but it is an experience that you should do. If, you have, if you've never experienced it before, you should definitely go. It's fantastic. There's music, there's singing, there's dancing. Um, it was amazing. I was the only non-African American person in the whole building except for the saxophonist, um, which I thought was rather hilarious. Sermons, the uh, worship started, ministry came up, gave a welcome said he welcomed our visitors who are here today. And we want to give a special welcome to Andrew Young, who's visiting from the Graduate Theological Union up, uh, up in Berkeley. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> Please stand, Andrew. So I stood. Passed him a mic. So they passed me a microphone. <laughs> Tell us a little about yourself. Oh, I'm Andrew, and I'm visiting from the seminary. Thank God I was not an introvert. Um, Thank God my wife did not go with me that day. Um, it would have been horrible. Um, but it was a great experience. The sermon was great. And in 
in this kind of church, they when the minister is preaching, as the minister the minister starts kind of low and they get revved up and revved up, and then the music kicks in and the music goes up with them as they're getting more revved up. It was about a two-hour worship service. About an hour and a half into it, the minister is really in the middle of what he wants to say, and he's talking about the oppressed in our society. He's talking about the homeless and the poor and the racial minorities. And then he says, and we must not forget our LGBT brothers and sisters. He says, if we forget them in their time of need, we will be hypocrites. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. You see, I had come that morning with a bunch of preconceived notions about what traditionally African-American Baptist church in the heart of Oakland, California would be like. It was not what I expected. It was welcoming. It was kind. It was highly progressive. Let me tell you the story of another visitation I made. When I moved back to Austin and was attending seminary at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, not far from here, there's an Episcopal church right across the road. Now, the Episcopal church very progressive. They're currently in trouble with the Anglican Union, because the, Nat, the International Gathering of Anglicans, because they support same-sex marriage, and the Anglican Union as a whole does not yet. Very progressive. I thought, I'm going to have a great time. I love high church service. I go in, the greeter says, good morning, hands me a uh, order of service, which really just has the hymns on it, no other order. I walk in, sit down, nobody talks to me. Pick up the uh, two books, neither of which, by the way, have a label on them. You're expected to know which one is the Book of Common Prayer and which one is the hymnal because one's one color and one's another, and everybody knows that, obviously. They began the service. The Episcopalians do a service rote. They just do it straight down the book. Um, They're actually not allowed to go off notes. And... The service begins on something like page 325. And if you don't know that, it's hard to know what's going on. Open the hymnal, start flipping around, looking for the words they're saying, drastic, you know, <laughs> couldn't find it. Someone finally said, page 325. Okay. Don't know when to stand or sit or kneel. I can just kind of watch everybody around me. New communion, don't tell us what to do. They just assume we know. I wander up the aisle and make a fool of myself by turning the wrong way and going back the wrong way from the, from the altar. Got up at the end of the service and left, and no one said goodbye. I had preconceived notions about this church also. I thought progressive church, center of Austin, historic building, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be people are going to welcome me. That was not what I got. And the message, although it certainly wasn't bad message was not particularly progressive. Your standard kind of you know, love of God message, but it didn't, didn't stir me. It didn't kind of change your action in some way. See, we have these, these, these uh, pre-made judgments. And they've always existed. They existed in Jesus' day. You know, one of the reasons why I like Jesus is that he was a radical. He was someone who ate with tax collectors and Pharisees. He was someone who refused to do what everyone said you had to do. And he was executed by the state 
because of his refusal to go with the status quo. And nobody liked him. Everyone questioned him. The Pharisees asked him, why do you eat with tax collectors? They're horrible people. Can't you see they're selling us out to the Romans? And his disciples asked, why do you eat with Pharisees? Don't you see they're the problem? They're the thing we're fighting against. Why do you eat with them? Our prejudices and our preconceived notions of people can prevent us from making actual connections. Let's go back to something I said before the sermon. How many of you were concerned when you came in and saw me in a collar this morning? Be honest, be honest. Yeah. The collar is a tricky symbol. For many years, especially a white, cis, heterosexual man wearing a collar has been a sign of the patriarchy, a sign of abusive theology in churches. I'm sure many of you have an experience of being raised in a church where you felt that their theology and their understanding of God was something that you just could not do because it was harmful. And this collar, to many people, means that. And yet... There's no reason why it should. A symbol is just a symbol, and we can reclaim it. So I try to wear the collar with my rainbow pin, which I don't know if y'all can see out there. Whenever I get the chance, um, unfortunately, I can't wear it at my own church. Um, I've been asked not to, (laughs) Um, for fear of scaring away the visitors. Um, So if you're a visitor here today, know that the the normal minister does not wear a collar, um, so it's fine. Except, you know, at protests and things where we want to be. But I have a friend, uh, Joanna Crawford, who is the minister in charge of Live Oak Unitarian Universalist Church in Cedar Park. And she wears a collar all the time with her rainbow pin. And her favorite place to wear it is to go to St. Arbucks. And she orders a coffee at at St. Arbucks. You'll get it in a minute. There you go. And, uh, And sits and just sits and waits for conversation. Because a woman wearing a collar and a rainbow pin really, really messes up people's preconceived notions, right? It really makes them, forces them to enter into discussion with one another to find out who they really are. I get it too, but Joanna gets it much more frequently than me. I've had people ask, do you know what that means? I thought it was really hilarious. Yes, I know what it means. So, how do we do this? You know, I remember I went to Live Oak um, before Joanna was there. I went to Live Oak, and uh, it was actually when they were between ministers. We attended a service, and they had a guest speaker. And the guest speaker told this story. He told, like, the first half of the story. And then he said, but you all know how it ends. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He assumed that we had all come from the same background, that we all had the same ideologies, we all had the same experiences in life. He assumed we'd all heard the story before. You know that one about the donkey? I was like, what donkey? I have no idea what you're talking about. And I felt completely alienated because of that. But we get into these habits. We assume that everyone in the room is like us. And if I had come in today not wearing this collar, if I had come in wearing a suit and come up here and spoke, 
spoke and introduced myself as Pastor Andrew Young and not mentioned that I was from a Christian church, you would probably have assumed that I was a Unitarian minister from someplace else. These assumptions can be problematic. We can fall into them. It's not a bad thing. You shouldn't feel guilty because of this. We all do it. I do it. We all have good days and bad days. We all mean well. It's not like we're out to get people. We sometimes forget that when we get up in the, in the pulpit, when we walk around the church and we're greeting people and we make jokes about Republicans, we make jokes about gun owners, we make jokes about people who we think must not be here, we often forget that sometimes they are here. And sometimes by making those jokes, we have pushed them away. People who have come here, probably for the same reasons we have, because they have had an experience that has hurt them in their previous church life. And they come and they hear, not only am I not welcomed there, but I am also not welcomed here. That's me. So how do we move past this? And so I want to talk about two concepts borrowed from Christian theology, but also very appropriate Unitarian Universalist theology. Covenant and grace. How many of you have seen the covenant of right relations that is on the wall in Housen Hall? Excellent. If you have not, you should go read it. I was here when they wrote that covenant, and when they wrote this um, for the first time. I remember all of the work that went into producing that covenant. You would not believe the committee meetings and the arguments everything. The covenant of right relations gives us a structure to work with in dealing with one another in a way that is fair and equitable. Covenant, originally in the Hebrew scriptures and then again in in the Christian scriptures, is about an understanding between two parties. It's like a legal document. In In the Old Testament, it was a legal document between God and And yet, the people often broke the document. And then it was up to God to bring them back into the covenant. Because covenant is between two people. It's not a document like you sign, like your homeowner's agreement, and if you 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 don't live up to it, they're going to fine you or whatever. It's about being in relationship, real relationship with somebody. And when they go outside the lines, when they stray, when they've had a bad day, when something horrible has happened, are at their wit's end, and you do something small, and they just snap. And they do something far outside of, your co- of the covenant that you've agreed to. That's when the relationship matters. You bring them back in. You say, I hear you, I know that you're hurting, but you're not within our covenant. You've agreed to this. Let's come back. Let's come back into this. And that's where the second thing comes in. It's grace. In the Christian tradition, grace is a gift receive, even though you do not deserve the gift. When you're having a bad day, you've lashed out at somebody, and I do this all the time. I haven't eaten. I've had a long day. I've been dealing with the death of a congregant, or with someone in the hospital, or with an angry renter who is trying to work out some new rental agreement for a room. I'm just so frustrated. And someone comes in and they do something that bugs me. And then some minor thing, I just snap and yell at them. Right? 
My daughter knows. <laughs> but I didn't mean to do it. It snapped. And so that is the point when the other party can provide grace. They can say, I understand this is not who you really are. And that something must be going on. Tell me about it. Come back into this conversation. Let us share together in this moment. That's grace. And it's hard. It's not something easy to do, but it's something that we can learn over time. So, as you leave today and go about your regular business, I invite you to think about this. Think about how this religious community and all of the communities that you are a part of, work, social communities, other activities, how can you make them more welcoming to all? How can you be in true relationship with people? How can you put aside your preconceived notions prejudices, and work to understand where people really are and to find common ground on which to build those relationships. And how can you create covenants? And how can you bring people back into covenant when they stray? And how can you provide grace for those who have Please join me in the words that we use as we extinguish the chalice, which can be found in the order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.